welcome to this talk from Emmaus Road, a church with congregations in Guildford and Woking in the UK. To find out more about who we are and what we're up to, please visit us online at EmmausRoad.com. Well, good morning. Happy 2019. It's so nice to step in, just kind of you walk in the middle of worship time and just feel this like faith in the room, Just amazing. So good. Well, Woking send their love, particularly the youngest member, little, uh, little baby Heather, who just arrived a few days ago. So Josh and Em are um, all doing well. The newest member of the Emmaus family at three days old, I think. Anyone want to beat that? No? Three days. Great. Little Jonas Heather, the newest member of the family. Amazing. So um, we today are going to be starting our brand new series for 2019. Last week, kind of peak kicked off the year, where every year we kind of start with a new year, new you, just kind of setting us up for the year. And then this is our first one of our new series. And we're actually doing a slightly longer series this time to kick off 2019. And we're going to be doing seven weeks I hear you moan. No, it's going to be great. Seven weeks on the Sermon on the Mount. Sermon on the Mount. And so if you're kind of new to Christianity, basically Christianity is about Christ. It doesn't get more complicated than that. Christianity is about Christ. And Christ's teaching really is about the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount. And so we're really taking some time to go through it. We're not even going to tackle the whole of the Sermon on the Mount over the next seven weeks. We're just going to do chapter 5 of Matthew because we want to go slowly. We really want to hear what the Lord is saying to us. And so I'm just going to pray to kick us off. And then kind of while I do that, why don't you be kind of opening your Bibles to Matthew 4 uh, or loading them up if you have your Bible on your phone. However you access the Word of God, maybe you could do that now. Lord Jesus, God, you are the King of kings and you are the Lord of lords. And so, Lord Jesus, as we approach this, your manifesto, Jesus, the sermon that you gave, God, would you give us ears to hear it afresh? Lord Jesus, we long to look like the king of the kingdom that we serve. And so we just ask, Spirit of the living God, we know that we cannot do it without you, but with you, Jesus, we can do anything. And so we give you our glory and our worship this morning. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen, amen. Okay, so the Sermon on the Mount. I was chatting to someone who's actually working in ministry, and this year they're deciding to read through Matthew. And they got to the Sermon on the Mount, and they found, kind of found out that I was teaching on the Sermon on the Mount this week. And they were like, it's so interesting. I read it so many times, but as I was reading it again, I realized that I'd totally forgotten what it said. And so I want to ask you, just for a second right now, especially if you've been a Christian for a while, have a think through, what does Jesus talk about in the Sermon on the Mount? This manifesto, this this piece of teaching that is so key to Jesus, what does he talk about? Because I think it's so easy for us to forget. On our way back, me and uh, Hannah and Thea... We had Christmas in Ireland, and then we spent some time in Cheddar, and so we drove Cheddar where my parents are, and so we drove there just before Christmas, and we flew from Bristol to Ireland, and then we came back and had New Year in Cheddar, and the day that we were about to leave, I uh, ran over a nail and got a flat tire, and you're like, oh, Lord, why is the world against me? But, you know, you take it, and you have that moment when you're speaking to the garage, and you're like, 
can you fix the puncture? And they're like, no, we can't. And you're like, ah, need a new tire. But anyway, what has this got to do with anything? Well, while they were there, they said, how about, I was like, I've got an MOT next month. Would you mind just checking all of the tires? It was like cheaper to get a few more than just one. So they're looking around, and this guy comes to one. He's like, your, so your front left one needs a new one. That's where you drove over a nail. Your back left one is looking a bit bald. Would you like us to change that as well? And my dad, feeling incredibly generous, was like, change it and I'll pay. And I was like, the Lord is with me. Um, (laughs) Or my father is with me. Um, And so they pull off this back left one to change it. And it turns out that the car is a bit older. And it has a vibration, apparently, I know nothing about cars, in which the outside edge is looking okay, but the inside edge that you can't see has got so bald that you're beginning to see the wiring coming through. And they're like, where were you driving tonight? And I was like, we're driving back to Surrey. They're like, you wouldn't have made it. And I was like, wow, thank you, Lord. New tires, and you saved us a blight on the motorway. The Lord really is with me. But I thought that's the thing with the Sermon on the Mount. We need to constantly return to it, because sometimes if we don't look at our lives, it's so easy to carry on to just trust the way that we're going and then suddenly getting someone to come. We read through the words of Jesus and suddenly you realize, actually, there's some area of our lives that's got so bored, the whole thing. As soon as it hits a bit of water, as soon as it hits something difficult, that thing is going to explode. And so I want to encourage you, as we look through these seven weeks, to come at the Sermon on the Mount with fresh eyes. We'll talk about that a little bit later. But even though I know a lot of people will know this teaching really, really well, Position your heart now to come at it afresh in 2019. But before we get there, I just want to read, and I'm going to be reading from Matthew 4 and verse 17, then jump around a little bit. Don't worry, we're not going to read the whole Sermon on the Mount. We're actually, in fact, not going to read any of the Sermon on the Mount today. Ooh, I hear you say. Here we go. Matthew 4, 17. From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And then jump down a little bit. Jesus calls his first disciples. And then we get to verse 23, and it says this. And he went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing. Just notice that, the gospel of the kingdom, the good news of the kingdom. I love that line. And healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So his fame spread throughout all Syria, and they brought him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, epileptics and paralytics, and he healed them. And great crowds followed him from Galilee and from the Decapolis and from Jerusalem and Judea and from beyond the Jordan. Seeing the crowds, he went up onto the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. Stop there. If you have a Bible that kind of deals with Jesus' words in red, you're going to see like just a whole splurge of red over the next three chapters. And Matthew 5, 6, and 7 is the Sermon on the Mount, the longest dialogue of Jesus' teaching found in the New Testament. But before we launch into that, so we're going to be starting that next week. As we were playing this series, we realized that actually before you tackle the Sermon on the Mount, you really have to tackle this idea that comes out time and time again in Jesus' teaching. And it's the idea of the kingdom. Sometimes referred to as the kingdom of heaven, or the gospel of the kingdom, or the kingdom of God. It's really referring to the same thing. Jesus really had one sermon. It was really long, but it was all to do with this. The kingdom, the rule and reign of God. 
Well, what is the kingdom? I hear you ask. Well, N.T. Wright puts it well when he says, the kingdom of God is Jesus' answer to the question, what would it look like if God were running the show? What would it look like if God were running the show? And so the first thing you need to realize is that we make a bit of an error where we begin to think about the kingdom of heaven as a location. You know, you were to ask someone on the street, what is the kingdom of heaven? They might talk to you about some place, some place with pearly gates that you go after you die. But actually, the Bible doesn't really talk in that language. To the Bible, the kingdom is not about location. It's about lordship. Okay? So the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, the gospel of the kingdom is any place in which Jesus is Lord, in which Jesus is ruling and reigning. And that is why the most famous prayer ever written invites us to say, God, your kingdom come to earth as it is in heaven. Heaven, the place where you rule and reign, with that come to earth. And so if we understand that kingdom is about lordship and not location. We also need to look at the language that Jesus uses here. It's this phrase that comes up time and time again. Repent. Repent, repent. Why? Because the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Well, what is Jesus' idea of repentance? Well, the word there is an important one in the Greek. And it's this word metanoia. Can you say that? Metanoia. And so oftentimes, I know when I come to repentance, I think mostly about saying sorry. And if I go too far, then I actually think about, you know, penance. You know, we quite easily bring this idea of penance where we try and earn our way back through saying sorry. And actually, Jesus isn't concerned with penance whatsoever. Actually, when you look into the root of this word metanoia, the best translation is actually to turn around or to change your thinking. And so what Jesus is saying here is, It's time for us to change our thinking. It's time for us to turn around. It's time for a change to happen. Why? Because the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And why are we talking about this before the Sermon on the Mount? Well, if the why of repentance, why we repent, is because the kingdom of heaven is at hand, the how of the repentance is the Sermon on the Mount. If the why of the repentance, why repent? Because the kingdom of heaven is at hand. How do we repent? How do we change our way of thinking? Matthew 5, 6, and 7. The Sermon on the Mount is the how. That's the change that Jesus is creating within us. Jesus spent his time doing three things. Declaring his kingdom, demonstrating his kingdom, and describing his kingdom. And what you're going to find over the next few weeks is Jesus had to spend a lot of time describing what his kingdom looked like because it is so fundamentally different to any kingdom the world has ever seen before or since. Right? Lots of with History is full of people establishing themselves as rulers, as kings and queens and lords. But all of those kingdoms kind of looked quite similar. They tweaked, they changed a little bit, but only Jesus came with a kingdom that was so radically different. And this is the kingdom we're going to be exploring over the next seven weeks. And this is important because as you read the Sermon on the Mount, you're going to realize that actually it is a reckless and vulnerable and potentially dangerous way to live. 
And so if the kingdom of heaven is not at hand, I suggest you don't do it, right? It's a terrible way to live. But if the kingdom of heaven is at hand, then surely, surely it's the only way to truly be alive. If this is all there is, 90 years, whatever we have, whatever we are given, and then we go back to the dust, don't live the self-sacrificial, laying down your life, reckless way of the Sermon on the Mount. But if there is a God who is ushering a kingdom that is everlasting, that we will be in for eternity, then we better start living the way of the Sermon of the Mount because we want to be truly alive. And here's the key. The Sermon on the Mount is Jesus' definition of what it really means to be alive, what it truly means to flourish in this life. Because who understands the way to live a fulfilled life? Surely only the architect of life itself, Jesus. And he says it's the Sermon of the Mount. And we see that, right? This morning, Sammy prayed for people to have healing. And so often what we see with Jesus is he comes and he declares the kingdom, but then he demonstrates the kingdom through healing. And what we need to understand is that healing is and miracles are to the body what the Sermon on the Mount is to the soul. Right? Miracles about coming into this biblical idea of shalom, of wholeness, of peace. Miracles bring that to the body. Living the Sermon on the Mount brings that to the soul and to the spirit. So this is Jesus' idea. It's the gospel of the kingdom. It is good news that the kingdom is coming. The world would like to say that living the Sermon on the Mount is dangerous and it is in fact shackles. It's the opposite of a fulfilled life. But Jesus would come and say, no, this is what freedom looks like. This is what a fulfilled life looks like. And do you believe it? Dallas Willard says this, we don't believe something by merely saying we believe it. Or even when we believe that we believe it, we believe something when we act as if it were true. We believe something only when we act as if it were true. So here's my challenge. I want to set before you what we are going to be exploring is the summons of a king about how to live like him and in his kingdom. Will you dare to believe This is the way to true life. To give your life away in this way. Because what you're going to find over the next seven weeks is that it's going to challenge your values and your priorities. Jesus is going to talk about integrity and time. He's going to talk about relationships and sex and our bodies and marriage and singleness. He's going to talk about service and leadership and power and status and significance. You might be surprised by the type of people that Jesus would ask you to befriend at work. You might be shocked by Jesus' approach to leadership and what significance looks like in his kingdom. You might even be angered by Jesus' definition of what a blessed life looks like. Here's my hope. At some point over the next seven weeks, every single one of us, myself included, feels uncomfortable when you're sat in a chair in this room. I hope at one point you kind of feel the wind knocked out of you a little bit because this is such a counter-cultural way of thinking. And if that doesn't happen, either we're not speaking well or you're not listening well. I'll let you quietly decide which is which, okay? But that's the thing. 
I'm hoping that at some point we become uncomfortable because the Sermon on the Mount is meant to make us feel uncomfortable. It might be some of the most well-known words of Jesus, but it is one of them. Has it made that journey from the head to the heart? Like, it is a difficult way to live. Over Christmas, I am... A lot of you would have been, just before Christmas, we had Julian Adams, a kind of prophetic voice, come and speak into this church. And we had a joint collective, Kingdom Come Night Over in Woking. And Julian Adams gave this word to the church. It's really stuck with me over Christmas. And he talked about, he kind of framed it in this story. And he talked about how he's a romantic. And before him and his now wife got married, they uh, used to do kind of a long-distance relationship. And so he had his little bachelor pad. He was living in the north of England. And she'd come and visit. And he was like, it's fine. She'd come and visit. I'd clean up. I'd, you know, put some romantic music on. I'd get everything ready. It was all good. But then we'd have a nice time. Then she'd leave. And then it would go back to being my bachelor pad. And then suddenly we got married... And she is always there, right? And so suddenly now the house always needs to be clean. Suddenly the music is always different. And he said, actually, getting married was wonderful, but it was incredibly inconvenient to my bachelor way of life. (laughs) But then he said this thing, and it like, you know, just words just get you. And he said, I think that's the problem with the church. We love to date the Holy Spirit. We just don't like it when he moves in. Oh, Julian. We love to date the Holy Spirit. We just hate it when he moves in. And let me tell you something. What you're going to find over the next seven weeks is the Sermon on the Mount is an incredibly inconvenient way to live. Incredibly inconvenient. What Jesus tells us about the importance of our thought life and how much we have to guard that, that's inconvenient. When Jesus talks about reconciliation and what stakes and levels we should go at to be at peace with one another, it's incredibly inconvenient. You're going to find time and time again through these words, week on week, this is an inconvenient life. But then Julian finished it with this. He said, this church is moving from a season of visitation to habitation. That's the invitation for 2019 for this church, to move from visitation to habitation of the Holy Spirit. And if the Sermon on the Mount is the summons of a king, that means it's the way that the king lives. And that means that the Sermon on the Mount is the character that the king likes to call home. It's the character that the king likes to call home. So as we move from visitation to habitation, this is how we create a hospitable environment for the presence of Jesus. Bill Johnson has teaching on this I always found really helpful when he talks about how when Jesus is baptized and he comes out of the water, the dove lands on his shoulder as a kind of symbolic, the presence of the Holy Spirit. And he says, if you really want to host the presence of the Holy Spirit, imagine a dove landing on your shoulder and it's like you never want the dove to leave. Okay? Imagine if a dove landed on your shoulder. Everything about your life would be positioned to making sure the dove doesn't fly away. The way you move, the way you talk, where you go, all the things you expose yourself to, everything becomes orientated around the dove. It's like the same thing of the Holy Spirit. And if you want to know what places the dove likes to be, it's the Sermon on the Mount. It's the Sermon on the Mount. And so will you hear the prophetic words spoken over this church, moving from habitation to visitation, and live in such a way that the king might call you home.
There's a verse um, about the kingdom kind of bringing this full circle a little bit that always confused me a little bit, and it's in Luke, and it's in 17.20. Don't turn there. I'll read it to you. And it says, Now when he was asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them and said, The kingdom of God does not come with observation, nor will they say, See here or see there, for indeed the kingdom of God is within you. So I've always struggled. My understanding of like the kingdom of God, I, always un- I didn't get this part. I was like, God, what does this mean? It kind of makes it feel so easily to read that verse and then to lean into the kingdom being this sort of like ethereal feeling that sits within us. Or What does that mean? Now, I had the privilege of going to a Q&A with N.T. Wright and someone who is like a real forethinker on all of this idea of the kingdom coming to earth. And so someone stuck their hand up and said, well, what about... 1720. What about Luke 1720? What has that got to do with everything? And he said something that's changed everything for me. And he said, it's a bad translation. He's like, it's a bad translation. You should actually read the Greek. And actually what Jesus is saying here is actually a colloquial term. And it is best translated as the modern day colloquial term, the ball is in your court. Isn't that stunning? Jesus is saying, they won't say that or that. What's actually happening is the kingdom. It's like over to you. The ball is now in your court. We know that we stand in this in-between in where Jesus ushered the kingdom in. We live in the now, but we don't see everything that the kingdom will become, the not yet. We live in this period between the now and the not yet, where we see miracles, but we also see people still get sick. We don't see the part where we know, where we read Revelation, that one day every tear will be wiped dry. We don't see that, but we know that things are happening. We hear stories of miracles breaking in. And how do we stand? Well, I'd like to say that now and not yet is a privilege and an invitation to you and to me. Because Jesus is saying, in this in-between stage, the ball is in your court. Wherever kingdom people go, they bring the kingdom of heaven. Why? Because the kingdom of God is at hand. Would you look at your hands for a sec? That's what Jesus is saying. It's that close. When you go and have a coffee with someone else from church in Starbucks, it means the kingdom of heaven is at hand in Starbucks. Wherever kingdom people go, they usher in the kingdom of God because the kingdom of heaven is at hand. What would it look like 2019 for us to become a place of habitation? being inconvenienced by the words of Jesus and seeing his kingdom come on heaven as it is on earth. And so I just want to give you quickly three keys. Aware that we're doing a series on the Sermon on the Mount and I haven't read from anything of the Sermon on the Mount. And so this one is about whetting your appetite, setting you up. And so here's three keys which I feel will help you approach the Sermon on the Mount with fresh eyes. And they all begin with H. So you can remember them. They are honesty, humility and hunger. First of all, honesty, and I'll go through these quickly. Dallas Willard, in his book, Renovation of the Heart, says this, Denial is the primary device that humans use to deal with their own wrongness. That's challenging. Denial is the primary device that humans use to deal with their own wrongness. Or to put it another way, Jesus wasn't crucified for saying, love your neighbor. He was crucified for saying, behold the Pharisees, see how they steal. No one likes to come face to face with their own wrongness. But the Sermon on the Mount is concerned with coming face to face with our shadows. 
It's with our deep, it comes face to face with our deep, hidden and corrupt motives. Time and time again in the encounters of Jesus, you see him being a master of exposing what is the root issue. What is the root darkness in a person and bringing it into the light with grace and love. Because he knows that healing for humanity comes as we expose the evil that dwells within us because we've listened to the lie. We've listened to the lie about bodies and sex and relationships and marriage and singleness and money and people and reconciliation and priorities and status and significance. His kingdom has something to say about every corner of our lives. Have you ever noticed that Jesus isn't insecure about his kingship? He knows that he's the king of this kingdom, and he knows what it looks like to live in this kingdom. And so he's very happy to speak into every aspect of who we are. Why? Because in the words of C.S. Lewis, he isn't just interested in a little renovation. He is interested in complete transformation. He isn't just looking to renovate a little cottage. He is looking to transform the cottage into a palace because he intends to come and dwell in there. And so how do we come to these words afresh with honesty? And that doesn't mean go ghostbusting. Like, that doesn't really serve anyone. People, you kind of get by yourself and you're like, God, exposed. Like, I'm just going to go inside and see everything that's wrong with me. It doesn't work. It doesn't, I don't ever really come up feeling any better about myself in those moments. But maybe you could echo the words of the psalm that say, search me, God, and know me. Search me, God, and know me. Maybe that could be your prayer over the next seven weeks. Search me, God, and know me. Expose to me. I come to you with honesty. I want to be challenged. So number one, honesty. Number two, humility. So much of the Sermon on the Mount is about how Jesus tells us to live for other people, to not become the center of our own universe, And so before we even launch into that, I wonder if this week, spend some time reading through Philippians, looking at how Jesus gave up his position, becoming like people, and how he calls us to do the same. That you might come in with a fresh revelation of humility next week as we start on the Sermon of the Mount. And finally, simply with hunger. When the Sermon on the Mount was originally taught, it wouldn't have been written down. It would have been an oral tradition. Right, so it would have been people who spoke it and people who memorized it and spoke it and people who memorized it and spoke it. And I actually think that that's a helpful way to approach the Sermon on the Mount. I think sometimes when we read it, we come to it like a checklist. Like, where do we, where do, we do it? Where do we not do it? Where do we marry up? Yeah, I'm kind of good here and I'm kind of bad there. I actually think that dwelling over it, meditating on it, chewing over it, is a really good way to approach the Sermon on the Mount. So much of our life is kind of defined by what we pay attention to. You know, our thoughts are like a magnifying glass. Whatever you think about just becomes bigger. So just spend some time reading through it every day. Matthew 5. Maybe try and read through it three or four times this week before we come next Sunday. And finally, with the hunger of realizing that the invitation is for Jesus to want you to live a fulfilled life. A flourishing life. A life fit for a king. The way of the king. And so I'm just going to finish up. Maybe I can invite the band up just for one last song. And we've been thinking as a team and realizing that as we study these different, um, different themes together, what we'd love to do is kind of approach them prayerfully as a community, as a family. And so we've written a piece of liturgy that's going to come up on the screen in two seconds. 
and our hope is that we would read it together every week. So as it comes up on the screen, as it comes up on the screen, maybe take a moment just to read through it, make sure you're happy with it, happy with everything it says. So I'll just give you two minutes to do that, and then we'll read it together as we launch into the next song. If you feel comfortable, Lord Jesus, today we choose to recognize you as king. We thank you for the part we get to play in seeing your kingdom come to earth. We invite your spirit to transform our values, priorities, and passions to be in line with your upside-down kingdom. Together we echo the ancient prayer, create in me a pure heart, O Lord. Help us to trust in your ways and send us out to be salt and light as we daily walk the way of the King.